This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is a Business Radio special presentation of Dollars and Change. From the floor of the 7th Annual CEO Connection Mid-Market Convention in Philadelphia, here are your hosts, Cheryl Coleman and Sandy Hunt. Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Sandy Hunt. And I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And we are here every Thursday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, and we are replayed throughout the week. You can download the SiriusXM app and listen to our show anytime you anytime. want. Anytime. <laughs> every time. Every moment you can listen to us. Nothing is more <laughs> unnerving to me than picking up my phone and having my own voice come out of the headphones, because <laughs> I do listen to other shows on Sirius. <laughs> I don't listen to ours a lot. Uh, we have a great show in store for you today as we are broadcasting this evening's show from the CEO Connections 2019 Mid-Market Convention here in Philadelphia. You can hear the sounds of the conference behind us, and we'll be talking... All the buzz, people walking past. Yes, it's kind of fun. It is fun. We'll be talking live to four leaders across the mid-market over the next hour to hear how and why social impact is a part of their everyday business. Sounds good. Always a lot of fun. So in the first half of the show, we're going to be talking to Anthony DeCandido, Partner and Financial Services Senior Analyst at RSM. Then we'll be talking to Sharon Rossi, CEO of Food Science Corp. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk to Scott Jackson, who's the CEO and President of Global Impact. And finally, to close the show, Jeffrey Kiesel, who's the CEO of Restaurant Technologies, we usually don't get to say CEO this much, but no, we I guess don't. that's where we are today. <laughs> and it's interesting because we really do have a wide range of, of in- industries and businesses that they're working in. So it'll yeah. be a good sense of seeing how um, in the mid-market they're able to think about social impact and their role in going beyond making money. Yep. It's always one of my favorite shows because I think this is you know a range of companies. We get Starbucks on our show and you can sort of you know what they're doing around social impact. We get a lot of fun B2B companies at this mid-market at this convention, convention yeah. that we get a chance to talk to and other companies who are still designing their strategies around impact. So it's a fun time to talk to some of these mid-market companies. Yeah, and the, the sense is always that they, if they're not yet doing the social impact, they're nimble enough and small enough mm-hmm. that they can mm-hmm. kind of implement quickly without having to go through all the you know, the huge um, bureaucracies of many corporations, the large ones. Yes, indeed. Well, let's jump right into it. Anthony DeCandido from RSM. Welcome to Dollars and Change. Glad to be here. So tell us what RSM is. Sure. So the way that our clients would describe us is the premier provider of middle market public accounting services. So the way we design our business is across three pillar um, lines of business, audit, taxation, and consulting. We have 87 offices, 11,000 employees, Um, our brand promise to our clients is to deliver the power of being understood. It may sound cliche, but here's here's the brilliance in it. Delivering the power of understood means that we're centered to client relationships. And we have this belief at our firm that as we dive very deep into client relationships, it empowers them to make better business decisions for their businesses. And so we want to be at the centerpiece of the business challenges that are impacting our middle market clients. It could be things like a low interest rate environment. It could be things like trade, technology, innovations, on and on and on. Um, I personally have expertise in the private equity space as a client server. And so the clients that I serve range in asset sizes of, say, $10 million of of assets under management all the way up to about $15 billion of assets under management. And you count $15 billion as mid-market, or are they pushing the edge? We do, and that's interesting because middle market is so loosely defined, depending upon who you talk to. So if I was a commercial practitioner at the firm... I would likely describe 
middle market as a revenue driver. It could be 10 million of revenue all the way up to 500 million of revenue. Others may say it's a bit beyond that. So it's loosely defined. Mm -hmm. yeah. With such a big focus on uh, being that connection to um, the client for your companies, what impact trends are you seeing? Is this something that uh, clients are starting to demand, be curious about? What, what does it look like from your vantage point? There's this really center of importance on industry today. So the clients that we serve, they want to understand the um, foundational issues representing their industry. So when we go to market, we cover things like real estate and healthcare, industrial mm -hmm. products and consumer products. And they don't want just any other audit practitioner or tax practitioner, consulting practitioner on their team. They want people that are deepest in terms of industry expertise within that industry. So I find that that's something that's really centered. We're getting a lot of interest these days on corporate social responsibility. I think what we're doing at a firm is uh, something I personally am very proud of. And there's a lot of our clients that are seeking our advisory on um, how they may organize best to drive um, social impact returns. Well, that's a perfect place to pivot, right? Because our, our goal at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative is to really understand how business can, you know, use business principles and practices and, and HR initiatives, et cetera, to, to really be a good corporate employer, mm -hmm. right? And a good citizen in, in the world. So what are you... What are you seeing in, in social impact trends? And then we can talk about what RSM does. Sure. So for starters, there's this idea in market today that it's no longer good enough just to drive financial returns. In order to be a main player in business today, particularly in the middle market, you have to simultaneously drive financial returns and do good by your environment, do good by your for social causes. So one of the things that we put out in the December month is um, an addition of our middle market business index. And in that index, we surveyed about 400 middle market business leaders, um, various questions running the gamut of different industry topics. But one thing we, we learned from our CSR studies was that nine out of 10 middle market business executives believe that CSR is a strategic imperative for their organization. And yet so few of them have actually organized in a manner to support their CSR initiative. Uh, and that's really interesting because I think that um, part of what we're seeing as we actually talk to students and alumni and employees, et cetera, is that the challenge is that um, not only is there increasing requirement or expect expectation of, you know, CSR and other kinds of social impact initiatives, they're expecting there to be a kind of uh, honesty and authenticity about it. Correct. So it, if anything sort of smells of just window dressing or greenwashing, people are, are not buying it. The, the market is not just interested any longer on what you do. They're interested in why you do it and how you do it. So there's just this growing trend in the middle market today of stakeholders pulling back the hood of the car to understand the inner mechanics and workings of a business. You know, what do they stand for? What are their missions and values? Do they align to the stakeholders of the business, their suppliers, their customers, their employees, their management teams, their lenders, on and on and on and on and on. So I... I find that this is a trend that is going nowhere, um, nowhere, nowhere fast, meaning we, we have a it's, lot. It's here to stay. <laughs> it's here to stay, and um, it's something that we're coaching a lot of our clients on today. Oh, interesting. So do you have, have your consulting services expanded to include some of the CSR uh, priority for these companies? Correct. So within our firm today, we have something that we refer to as Vision 2022, and it's, it stands for the year 2022. But... The concept of it is that as we evolve organization, we're going to move away from traditional compliance type services, mm -hmm. which are becoming commoditized in the market, mm -hmm. to become, to, to create a higher value creation type advisory services. 
And one of those things is CSR. So groups are looking at us today for things like sustainability reports. So where do mm -hmm. I start? How do I showcase to my stakeholders that we're doing good by all these things we're saying we're doing good by? It's things like providing benchmarking mm. and helping them uh, develop policies and procedures to organize their businesses. Great. Excellent. Well, and I think, you know, it, for being a, a semi-emergent space, it is sort of, a, there's a world of, of uh, information out there. If a, if a CEO was to Google CSR, best practices, information, it's very hard to sort through the volume of info. So I'm sure it's very helpful to have an advisory service that can say, you know, here's what to really look for. Now, you guys, in sort of a meta sense, then, are seeing how all these companies are approaching impact, but also you're making an impact yourself and trying to decide what the corporate social responsibility and uh, philanthropic objectives of RSM are. So tell us what those look like. Yeah, so, you know, as a firm, if you were to join today, everyone has onboarding training on our firm values, which mm -hmm. are respect, integrity, teamwork, excellence, and stewardship. The one in particular that I have the most level of passion for is stewardship. And the way we've organized around stewardship um, was one of the outputs is something that we call the RSM US Foundation. And that foundation last year raised $9 million worth of funds to donate to educational From whom? From employees? From employees, correct. Um, our, the centerpiece program that we offer is something called Birdies for Love. It's centered around our premier client event that we host. It's a golf event in Sea Island, Georgia, called the RSM Classic. It's coming up in a few weeks now. Um, it's a really, really neat way to engage all of our own stakeholders, our own team members, our own clients, our own communities. So, for example, in my local office in Stanford, Connecticut, um, in the past week, we've organized poker tournaments. People are baking items for, for resale. We are you know, raising money by a various, various other ways. And what happens is there's this gamification that occurs. So if you're in a different office, you're competing against me, and whoever evolves as the winner, there's a firm match that's, that's provided. And it's, so there's all these different ways that the firm is raising money for these good causes for you know, learning and education. Yeah. And it's a huge amount of money. What do you do with it? How do you decide what organizations or causes get a piece of that $9 million pie? Good question. So the other reason we view this as very grassroots is because all of the local offices are able to select their charity of choice. So understand that our office sizes can range from as small as, say, 30 people to as large as 850 people. Oh, okay. So there's different causes that are aligned to the missions and values mm -hmm. of the local office, sure. but they have to follow um, some of the policies and procedures of our own organization. And the other th you know, thing that we're seeing from a lot of um, studies on social impact and corporate behavior is uh, a demand of treating your employees well, <clears throat> right? Because it's sort of, it's good to do the kind of external thing, but your main job is really to be a good employer and make it a good place. So do you have initiatives around that? Yeah, I mean, people are most important asset, right? I mean, you hear that often, but it's really right. true. We're professional service organizations. So that's it. From, your from people are your business. We yeah, are selling it. people. And yep. client service is um, a very, very difficult art because we're competing against other organizations that provide the same darn service, mm -hmm. right? So the differentiation is the way we show up. It's who we are. It's the type of training that we offer people. Um, it's the versatility of that skill set. It's no longer good enough to show up as an audit professional, just learning generally kept accepted accounting mm -hmm. principles or a tax person showing up, you know, knowing the IRS code, right? So we're trying to train people with this versatility, create best athletes in our organization. So one of the things we've done over the last four years, which we're really proud of, is we designed our own CDI program, Culture, Diversity, and Inclusion. Mm -hmm. And the idea there is that there's all these many personalities within our organization um, they're all very different, 
And so uh, with that comes the fact that our clients all have different personalities. So how we show up to serve them best is relevant in that way. So we've designed 11 employee network groups, things like you know, African-Americans, Asians, Pride, which stands for um, covers LGBT class, LGBTQ community class, things like Women's Initiative, Generations for our younger professionals. And what's neat about it is that it creates opportunities for these individuals to learn and develop skills sooner in their career than they otherwise would have. So one of the things we're very supportive of is the, the many diverse professional organizations. So you could be a newcomer associate on the job and you are nominated to participate in the program and we send you away to this external event mm -hmm. and you could be mixing and rubbing shoulders with the chairman of the board or mm -hmm. our CEO. And so you find these individuals, they come back to your local market. They're so invigorated. They're so um, excited about what their role is within the organization, and it shows up in the way we serve clients. Yeah. Well, then we had a professor who, who sort of did a study of the role of purpose, and uh, there's a great correlation between financial success and having everybody in your organization understanding what your organization is about and feeling that they contribute to that whole. Correct. And, and we said this earlier on, right? All these initiatives, CSR-related, drive financial returns and do right. So all of these things we have deep discussions also on What's the ROI, right? Because the firm doesn't loosely spend money on these types of initiatives without expecting something in return. We're good people, believe me, but we also expect something in return. And this shows up in, in our own financial success. We see a higher level of employee engagement. We see uh, better client service marks, on and on and on and on. And we do the surveying regularly. Yeah, and those are the win-win wins we like to see because that ensures the impact is going to persist. It's not a... You know, when business is good, right. we're cutting a check to a nonprofit. It's saying, if we're baking this into our business as we grow, this grows. So, Anthony DeCandido from RSM, thank you so much for joining us on Dollars and Change. Thank it was you for a having pleasure. Me. Enjoy the rest of the conference. You too. Take care. We're going to shift to our next guest here, Sharon Rossi, who's the CEO of Food Science Corporation. Sharon, welcome to Dollars and Change. Thank you. Welcome. How's the conference going? The conference is fantastic. Excellent. Tell us about Food Science Corporation. <laughs> Certainly. Thank you. So Food Science Corporation is, our purpose is to help people and pets live healthier lives every day. And so social impact is at the core of what we do. And our mission is to advance proactive, holistic well-being by bringing together science and nature in unique and efficacious and convenient formulas. Excellent. And so this is a, a lot of supplements, vitamins, products like this? Yes, absolutely. Nutritional supplements for both people and pets. Mm. We have pets and people. We do. I'm a big, big fan of keeping both healthy. So, um, you know, sometimes I think it's a very interesting challenge to talk to companies that have impact inherent in their product, right? A, a healthcare company, a school, um, a company like yours where your primary goal is delivering a product. Um, is that the only way you think about impact? Or are you thinking about impact throughout your company? Oftentimes, it's easy to throw all the passion behind that sort of core business unit. But how else are you thinking about impact? We've seen things about being family owned, operating in, I believe it's Maine, Vermont, 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 Vermont. Still, yep. the home yes. state. So um, tell us more about how impact is really woven throughout food science. Absolutely. Thank you. So as I mentioned, we live social impact at the core of our mission, and that is what we do. And at Food Science, we really think about social impact in four ways. We think about it in terms of our marketing. We think about it in terms of our innovation pipeline. We think about it in terms of community, as well as we think about it in terms of our employee programs. Any one of those in particular you'd like me to talk about? I'd like to hear employee programs. Sure, absolutely. So our employee programs are 
programs that help the existing employees, but also we have a unique way that we've partnered with an agency in the community to onboard and hire new employees. So we work with a company called Working Fields, and what they do is they provide tentative perm employment for those in the community that are in recovery from substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And so one of the important parts about substance abuse recovery is finding the stable employment. So when they're in a stable point of of their recovery, we offer them the tentative perm employment employment opportunities so that we can see is there a fit for them, is there a fit for us, and really it's a, one of the many ways that we give back to the community to support the community in this important op, uh, opportunity. Yeah, and I think you're right, the point about you know recovery from any sort of challenge, you do have to have the sense of stability and normalcy and, and pattern in your life so that Absolutely. you're able to latch on to that. Absolutely. And how has that impacted your workforce? What, you know, what have you learned from it, seen from it? Yes, so we've learned that people deserve a second chance. Yep. And so we're delighted to find some terrific employees that really are just looking for that second chance and to have the opportunity for, to work for a great mission-driven company where they can feel like they're doing something that's meaningful every day. And it's so related to our one of our employee programs. You asked also about other employee programs. That one is for talent acquisition to help our employees. And we all have things going on every day beyond what's going on in the workforce. And so we team up with the United Way and their Working Bridges program. And so we will bring United Way Working Bridges on site once a week. And we partner with them to help employees with all the many issues that sometimes can get in the way. What is United Way Working Bridges? I actually don't know. So United Way Working Bridges is a program that is sponsored by employers such as Food Science Corporation. And they have on-site staff come in and help employees. So maybe they're they're having trouble finding a place to live and their lease is up and the rent went up. Where can they live? Maybe their car broke down. Maybe they need a new doctor. Maybe their child care situation has changed and they need new child care. So really, it looks at the whole person wow. and helps. It's like a concierge help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Absolutely. And is it, in a confidential way to help employees with whatever they're struggling with. Oh, that's a great idea. Now, does Food Science Corp or, or United Way support in funding for those activities? Wow. So, so Food Science funds having United Way on site okay. once a week to provide the service to our employees. Excellent. And I, you know, I have to imagine the huge benefit of just saying this is an hour dedicated or however long it is to your problem solving. Yeah. Yes. We just had a conversation the other day with the head of a major bank who was saying, I'm worried about um, elder care. You know, the, the distraction it is to exactly. employees to have to be, exactly not have to be, but you know, to be balancing going to appointments and just the psychological stress yes. of having this on your mind and the unknown. So I, you know, I can't imagine what that would do for a workforce. What have you seen in terms of morale, consistency, retention? Uh, retention? Yes. yes, we've seen our retention, thankfully, is in the high 90s. Wow. wow. So very delighted with that. And we have a great workforce that we want to retain and we want to keep developing them. And we've certainly seen terrific uh, applause for United Way and the people they put on site for us, as well as the people that how they help our employees. So it's a confidential service. It's they bring the issues they have. And you know, there's there's limits to what an internal HR organization, especially that a, a smaller mid market company can do. And so this really supplements what the HR organizations do. Yeah. Well and you you know HR is a function of the company. Right. Right. right? So when it comes to confidentiality it's an open question, whereas right. this really sounds like it's set up to be an employee could be vulnerable and could, you know, sort of share well, challenges. I, and I love how it recognizes the whole person and the complexity of life, you know, because I think, you know, work is work is part of our lives, but it blends into other things. And we just have to figure out how to manage living and working at the same time. Yes, it's very unrealistic to expect people to check 
Oh, yeah. Huge parts of their identity from nine to five. <laughs> so it's and, not going to, you know. We don't want them to do that. Yes. Right? Well, and I think it's that that's all about well being and bringing the whole person to work. Yeah. You mentioned marketing as one of those pillars or angles. Um, tell us a little bit about that because often I think we see marketing more as a vehicle for communicating impact, but it sounds like you're trying to make an impact through your marketing. We are, absolutely. And given that so many of our products and what our products are intended to do is to help people and pets live healthier lives every day, the marketing pro- component of it as education is really important in terms of social impact. So take, for example, one of our products, which is Vetra Science Composure. So dogs and cats have a lot of different challenges depending on maybe the dog or cat was owned by the new pet parent and rescued. Mm -hmm. And so with that comes certain anxieties and behavior issues, or maybe they're afraid of thunderstorms or the snowplow, fireworks, Mm -hmm. all those sorts of things. So with our Vetra Science Composure product, we know it's clinically proven to work within 20 to 30 minutes. And so it helps the the dog or the cat to um, really feel relaxed. Yeah, what is it? What is it? Yeah. It, so we have a, a proprietary complex. It's all natural ingredients combined with scientific ingredients, a proprietary formula that combines v, B vitamins as well as our C3 complex, and it helps the pet to relax. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they're not, they're not sleepy. They can still play. You can still have those fun moments. But whatever it is that they're struggling through that's causing the behavior issue, Vetroscience Composure can help. Oh, nice. Excellent. Nice. How about, so you guys are still in the U.S. You, do you produce the, the product in the U.S. as yes, well? Yes, we do. Okay. So in Vermont or? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when it comes to the cost of some of these social impact decisions, so you're, you're making, you're choosing to be in the U.S., you're choosing to employ um, a, a workforce that's potentially re-entering the workforce, you're choosing to spend marketing dollars on education. These things cost money. Um, how, you know, what does it look like as a decision maker around those trade-offs? Um, you know, do you have those tough conversations or has your, have your company values made those decisions easy? Both. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's the honest answer. Our company values do guide us as does our mission in terms of what we want to do. And, um, for some of our programs, we have, for example, we've just started two years ago, the Good Neighbor Program. And the Good Neighbor Program has both a philanthropic component as well as a service component. Mm-hmm. And so the Good Neighbor Philanthropic Program, the way we make choices is through an employee committee. And funds are donated to different local causes, nonprofits in the area to help them with their mission. So there's that philanthropic component. And then we have a service day. So once a year, we take all of our employees off, we close down the company and we go off for a day of service. And so last year, for example, aligned with our mission, we took everyone to Camp Hashalega, which is a YMCA camp, YWCA camp. And their focus is on helping in developing women leaders of the future. And so it's a camp that they were upcoming for their 100th anniversary, which was this past summer. And so we took our nearly 200 employees to help them for a day of service there. And by us donating all those hours, they were able to spend their dollars toward mission-driven activities as opposed to some of the maintenance activities that we did. So we brought in their tents and their boats for the winter. We painted all their buildings, all sorts of things we did. Cleaned up the gardens. And I like that. Every day of service. I like the framing of 
you know, it allowed them to reallocate their dollars because sometimes those are the type of CSR activities that seem one-off or bolted right. on. But what you did was layer that on top of yes. very impactful activities on a consistent basis. And that provided, right. I'm sure, some great team building time Absolutely. And, and, you know, impact so, in another way. But it is not the, <laughs> it is not the first or only way these, these employees are seeing impact. So a lot of, you know, some of our listeners are either entrepreneurs or small business owners or, you know, mid-market owners as well. What kind of advice would you give them around thinking how they should think about social impacts? I think some have, like your company, and others are just like tiptoeing into the area thinking that, yeah, maybe this is something I need to think about, but I don't know how. Mm. So I think I would have them start with their their mission and what they have heart for and what's genuine and what's authentic to them and how do they express that in a way that fits with who they are and what they're trying to be and who they want to serve and where's their heart for service. Yeah, and talk us a little bit about your your journey. I know that it's a family-owned company. Is it your family? No, it is no. not. Okay. How did they select you? Because it sounds like you're putting a lot of value, understandably, and with great effect on, you know, making sure those values are authentic, that they're, um, you know, what you believe in. So what was that process like of joining this team and how thorough and thoughtful were they in, in trying to match a leader with those values to lead their company? Yes. So the... Um the selection process was focused on is there alignment alignment with the values is there alignment with the leadership philosophy around servant leadership is there an alignment around whether we can take the company to do good in the world and um, how we progress and how we really grow and scale what Food Science Corporation is going to do in the world to help people and pets live healthier lives every day and how we can grow the beautiful brands including Da Vinci which is a human supplement brand as well as the Vetra Science brand which is the hum- the supplement brand for pets and is, veterinarians is Da Vinci a calming supplement Da Vinci or? is a line of supplements ah, gotcha that has many many different products in its lineup and we make that available through healthcare pr- practitioners oh okay prescription no oh no, okay. supplements are not uh, yeah yes Excellent. Well, Sharon Rossi, CEO of Food Science, thank you so much for joining us on Dollars and Change. Thank you very much for inviting me. We appreciate your time. I had a great conversation. Certainly a, um, a great example of many of the ways that a company can be thinking about impact through their marketing, right. through their employment practices, their products. You don't often get so many of those dimensions hit, so we tip our hats to you. Well, then I do want to commend for the employee focus Mm -hmm. because, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that that really is very important. We agree. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Dollars and Change live on the floor from the CEO Connections 2019 Mid-Market Convention here in Philadelphia. We hope you're enjoying the show so far, and we invite you to come back and join us after the break in just a moment. This is Business Radio. Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. You're listening to a Business Radio special presentation of Dollars and Change. From the floor of the CEO Connection Mid-Market Convention, here again are Cheryl Coleman and Sandy Hunt. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio. I'm Sandy Hunt. And I'm Cheryl Coolen. And we are live here on the floor of the 2019 CEO Connection Mid-Market Convention in Philadelphia. You will hear the 
sounds the hubbub of, in the background of, of a conference behind us. They put out the snacks, so <laughs> which will <you laughs> be a high traffic <laughs> area pretty soon. Yeah. Um, but we're excited to bring conversations to you from the floor with many of the CEOs and presidents who are um, leading uh, leading their organizations with impact as a major priority. I talked earlier about this being one of the the more fun live shows I think we do every yeah, year because yeah. often the mid-market companies, you get a lot of B2B companies that people might not be familiar with the name brand or companies that are really taking an innovative tack to their mm-hmm. social impact. So this is a lot of fun. And that fun continues with Scott Jackson joining us as the CEO and president of Global Impact. Scott, welcome to Dollars and Change. Thank you very much. Excellent. You and Cheryl know each other, so this will be a conversation. Indeed, among we're old, going to be on a panel later friends. on. Exactly. So tell us, Scott, what is Global Impact? Global Impact is actually a nonprofit, and we're all about supporting charitable ventures for greater giving. So that can include Fortune 500 companies, mid-market companies, nonprofits. But it's about sitting in that nexus between the public and the private and the nonprofit sectors. So you're consulting with any of those stakeholders exactly on their needs. And what is the temperature like from the industry? We can talk about mid-market because we're here. What's the interest level? What are the hot topics in exploring impact? You know, I think it's very interesting because if you look at the data in terms of overall giving, mm-hmm. um, you can almost look at roughly about $250 billion that is probably coming from the mid-market and or families and individuals across the United States. And that's roughly 70% of overall giving. Oh, wow. So major foundations, corporations, mm-hmm. another $100 billion, but... I think that what we don't realize is it's often the family-owned business, the family foundation, the individuals, their children that are giving and represent that kind of 70% of individual giving. So uh, one of the interesting things I think that hopefully CEO Connection can help explore is how do we give voice, which is so wonderful to be on the radio show today with Cheryl and with you, Sandy, how do we give voice to that philanthropy? Mm-hmm. So it's happening all the time, but I'm not sure that it's as aligned with the business objectives of those mid-market companies in their communities and at their headquarters. And I think that's going to be the next wave. And that's a really important point and something we'll be talking about at the panel because I think what we're seeing from students and industry leaders and alumni and general you know, corporations is that the demand for authenticity is strong, right? And if something looks like it's just a bolt-on, it's not something that is really sort of integrated into the company, people are skeptical because it's sort of like, why that? Why choose that? And aren't you just going to get rid of it later? And is it just a pet project? And so I think, you know, absolutely right. Trying to find that alignment yeah. it makes it more credible. And, and I think not just more credible, but more impactful within the company without yeah, and stickier. It's more it's stickier, likely to yeah. persist than something that, as we talked a little bit about earlier, it's a check cut to an unrelated organization. It's not going to rise and fall with the success of your company. So, Scott, do you want to offer some free consulting to our listeners? <laughs> and you know, of if, course, it does. <laughs> if you're if you're you know a business leader listening and thinking, oh gosh, you know what Cheryl and Sandy's are saying is resonating. We just you know we've done this thing we've always done. No one's really that jazzed about it. It's not really core to our business. You know, how should we be thinking about this, Scott? What is this sort of new way of thinking that we should be challenging ourselves to? What what would you tell them? I would encourage them that it's not an either or. So it's not just the nonprofits or causes they care about Mm -hmm. and may be part of their own individual philanthropy 
or the business and being aligned and trying to make it engaging with their employees or customers or stakeholders. It's really about bringing those things together. So how does the CEO of a mid-market company start to think about their own journey in philanthropy and connect to the company and to the change in the world or their community that they'd like to be a part of? And what we find is that they really connect their own story to the company and to the change in the world. That That is a great opportunity for stakeholders to join them. Yeah, and last last year we interviewed uh, a CEO from a company that p- supplied supplies to prisons. Um, and then their philanthropy then focused on on prisoners and prisoners' families. And, and so it was a very consistent and really uh, clear mission for this company because they're like, we're about making this better for the people who are in prisons when they're in prisons and when they're outside. Yeah, yes. and I don't think you're oversimplifying it, Scott. And the, the good news and bad news is the need... There's there's a an endless amount of need in almost all sectors. So whatever yeah. the area of, you know, passionate uh, alignment of the CEO story and the company's you know activities, whatever issue area arises, I don't know of any that are saying we're good. You know, we're, <laughs> we're like we, <laughs> no, we've no solved this problem. Um, hopefully that list will grow. Um, excellent. What are some trends you're seeing that our listeners may not be familiar with? innovative strategies or approaches that are sort of cutting edge in the impact space for these companies? Well, one of them is really uh, looking at um, um, connecting their employee giving to their CSR strategy. So in fact, the company that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. we won't share their name, but it's they're doing some amazing work. If you went into the archives, you could pull our, you <laughs> yes. could pull our show yeah. from last year. There we go. I can't remember it. Uh, off the top of my head. But fairly significant dollars, too, mm-hmm. going back into the communities where they're serving. Their workplace giving program, they've had uh, not, not a lot of success of employees kind of taking them up on an amount of money that they provide to every employee if they choose to use it for charity. Mm-hmm. Now, many of these employees are not, you know, at an executive level, and so they have to kind of think about their charity. They may, they may not be thinking about their health care or 401k, mm-hmm. right? But what's interesting is that the, I think one of the trends is how can they connect those two things? So, for example, uh, Car- Carlson... Um, um, Corporation, which owns, uh, you know, Wagon Lead, Radisson Hotels, others, they have a wonderful uh, workplace giving program that's United Way based, so you can give to any charity through United Way or otherwise. But they also launched an anti-trafficking fund. Oh, which is appropriate for hotels, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And the family cares about that issue, the hotels care about that issue, the travel industry and the employees matched that fund and exceeded all other international charities in the first year and the second year doubled it. Wow. So that alignment, I think, is one of the trends that we see. What's a good way to um, understand what your employees care about? So if there's not an obvious industry match, you know, as, as is the case with that example, what would be a way for a CEO to start to take the pulse of what their company employees care about? You know, that's really the second big trend we're finding is that um, companies that set up employee committees, ambassadorships, and just ask, ask the question, right? So instead of second guess it and suggest their next new strategy, they actually pull their employees. Microsoft stopped 
about two years ago, even setting a goal for their workplace giving. And it's the largest workplace giving campaign in the, in the world. And instead started asking employees about any key themes they wanted them to focus on. And they came up with four themes over the last two years that they're, that they're you know, elevating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it came from those employee groups and asking them that question. And the third thing I'd say is it often comes from what the employees want to get engaged with. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's those, those engagement programs, whether it's skill-based volunteering or just really group volunteering or community volunteering. And that's where a lot of, you know, if you will, companies are beginning to see, okay, they really care about these food banks. This makes sense for us to give to that food bank. So five years ago, you saw engagement follow the, the money. Mm-hmm. Now you see money follow the engagement. Yeah. Are there any major trends within employees that you're saying, these are the issues people care about now more than ever? Yes. You know, it's interesting. Uh, food security is actually a huge issue here in the U.S. So if you look at almost $500 million in the last year and a half, it's gone to disaster funding from the private sector. Uh, about 40% of that was driven by employees caring about food banks and basic food needs for their communities that were affected by disaster. So food security is one major issue. Health care is another major issue. Um, I would say kind of the social determinants, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, cutting across. Yeah. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And what are people doing around health care? What are employees, you know, getting active in or giving to? Wellness. Oh, okay. Uh, so employee wellness. Yes. Employee wellness, family wellness, community wellness. So you're beginning to see walks turn into wellness programs. Wellness programs turn into community investments. So, you know, Sandy talks about the fact that there's, a, you know, an endless need around a lot of these issues. Um, and sometimes it can feel overwhelming. You're like, just like, oh my gosh, what ma- you know, what makes you optimistic in doing the work that you're doing? Well, you know, I came down from New York this week as the United Nations General Assembly mm-hmm. meetings, and I was uh, presenting on a, a panel uh, with the UN um, and other stakeholders on basically children in crisis. And, you know, we there's a couple of interesting dichotomies. One is, is that we have more crises uh, in the world than we've had probably in our lifetimes. And those crises are lasting more than 17 years average. So more and more children. Uh, so, for example, out of 70 million uh people who are currently displaced, half of those are children under 18. And I was amazed when I learned that statistic that, that displacement is not for a month or two months or even a year. It's, it's decades. Yes. And the flip side, though, is that today we have 50% less children dying from preventable causes than we did 15 years ago. So I think there's a great hope when you see what's happened in terms of you know, morbidity, mortality with children around the world, around key issues as health, uh, food security, economic prosperity. But we often kind of overlook the progress that has been made. But um, but it's there. It's there. And we're and we're and I think we're learning a little bit and trying to test methods. And yeah. the show makes us optimistic. We get to talk to hundreds of people who are doing. Except their... about recycling. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> recycling, we really haven't turned the optimistic corner on. No, we, uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll, 
<laughs> we'll have to have a segment to buoy our spirits on that we one. Will, we will. Scott Jackson, CEO and President of Global Impact, thank you for joining us on Dollars and Change. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Thanks for having me. We're going to pivot to our next guest here, Jeffrey Kiesel, who's the CEO of Restaurant Technologies. Jeffrey, welcome to Dollars and Change. And we're actually yep. doing a literal pivot from one yes. side to the other. <laughs> Glad to be here. Excellent. So um, I start every conversation here the same way for people who might not be familiar with these B2B companies. Tell us about what Restaurant Technologies is. So Restaurant Technologies is a fast-growth, private equity-backed company. We provide back-of-the-house services to restaurants and food service companies. Um, and we take away, eliminate, and automate the worst jobs in the kitchen. Got it. So our, our main product is uh, automating the handling of cooking oil. Mm-hmm. Another one is automating the cleaning of hood flues and fans. Got it. How did such a company get started? It actually spun out of a company that in Minnesota that was making tanks, tanks. to hold Are- CO2. Oh. I thought and you meant army tanks. <laughs> no, 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 just, just metal <laughs> tanks. And um, if you remember way back in the day, there were these cylinders that you'd have to, that held the CO2 for the soft drinks, uh-huh. and you just had to hook those up. And uh, they said, hey, we're making a lot of tanks, but the distributors are making all the money. So the, there was a great entrepreneurial group of folks that said, you know what, why don't we change our business model, and we will make tanks for... Um, for the uh, for the restaurants and the, the distributors will just fill uh, the CO2 in these tanks inside. You, they, they, that's the, how CO2 gets moved right now. But they said, hey, the distributors are making all the money. What else can we do in bulk? Right. And then it became cooking oil. So it was the same customer base, different product in bulk. What's the, what are the dangers with cooking oil? Why is this a, a problem to be solved? It's the number one reason for slips, falls, uh, back injuries in uh, restaurants. It just it creates a very dangerous environment. Uh, the typical way, the traditional way of um, managing cooking oil, you'll go to the, to the back of the restaurant, carry a 35-pound jug, pour it into the vat, fryer vat, which is at 400, 400 degrees. Mm. It splashes. You don't, fill all, you don't empty it all out. You end up dragging it through, and it creates a, a nasty environment. And when the oil is spent, they call it, when it's used up, uh, then it's dragged out and poured into a dumpster in the back of the restaurant, which is not a pleasant environment for anybody. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't sound like a, that's the impactful path. So tell us what the, um, the sort of future state looks like when restaurant technologies can do it better. So we have a business model where we own the equipment and our customers pay it to keep it up 24-7. And we supply the cooking oil on demand. We put in a fresh oil tank, a waste oil tank that are roughly the size of a water heater, connect pumps uh, to the fryer, and it literally is a toggle switch to add, filter, or dispose the oil. And so we eliminate all the manual handling. We eliminate the need to order cooking oil because we have an Internet of Things. We can measure all roughly 30,000 uh, tanks uh, that we serve, and we deliver the cooking oil when they need it. And what do you do with the cooking oil? Because I know there's some... Um uh, organizations that do biofuel, that they use the cooking oil Correct. as a fuel. Do you do that? or We do. do um, we bring the cooking oil back to our, our depot, our distribution point, and then it's picked up and it goes to biodiesel. 98% of it goes to biodiesel. Wow. Most, most of it goes to uh, Renewable Energy Group based out of Ames, Iowa, and they have plants all across the U.S. Yeah. And what would happen to it otherwise in the old model? Would it just get... It, it would predominantly dumps. go to um, uh, feed. 
feed stock for uh, chickens, pigs, etc. Just mix it with grain, and it gives it nice fat content. Fattens them up. So, what other things are you working on? So, you talked about the the oil. You talked about the automated hood. What's your What's your employee base like, and what are you doing with them? We have uh, roughly twelve hundred employees, growing at least a hundred a year, Um, and so our employees. we focus very much on engagement, and uh, our retention numbers would show that. So in the CDL driving world, which is uh, very competitive um, to hire folks and retain them, our retention rate is 88%. And the same thing with our technicians, it's roughly the same amount. And so those are big numbers. You would actually yeah. reverse those in most companies. Oh, really? But oh, yeah. You'd have that much turnover. Yeah. And so what? Uh, what's the secret sauce? Well, we... we, uh, we in- Check, we do a pulse check every six months and a full engagement survey uh, every two years with our folks. And we take it as seriously as anything else we do. Uh, it's as serious as our strategic plan. It's as serious as you know, making our monthly budgets and taking care of our customers in and out. The way we do this is that we break it down by manager and we have all the feedback that, you know, what the employees like, they don't like, uh, what they'd like to see improve, but we also do a manager score. And So this they, is upward feedback to the manager? That is correct. Okay. And so we, um, it's as much of a performance review as anything else that they get, and they get it twice a year. Mm. So, it, you know, do we have a communication issue? Do we have um, on either just what's going on day to day, or do we have a communication issue tying the employee's efforts to the success of the, of the company? Yeah, it was interesting. The, the, your employees, uh, there's been research that sort of really demonstrates that when employees feel that they're part of the purpose of the company and it goes all the way down and everyone sees themselves pulling towards the same end, it does relate to financial performance because of lack of rich, turnover and more employee engagement, harder working, et cetera. That, that harder working thing was a surprising well, when we really looked into it three, four years ago. I, you, you get that little extra effort, yep. you know, that extra five minutes, that extra level of detail. Because it means something to you. You're not, just, you're not just sort of trying to clock out as soon as you can. Correct. Right? You, you want to make something happen. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the environmental impact. Any of these sure. supply chain type companies have a huge chance to create efficiencies around containers and gas used in transport. What does that shift look like uh, for a company that, you know, wasn't using your services and, and how is it maximized when they do? So we, uh, we track how many 35-pound jugs, which are plastic jugs in a cardboard box. So it's a double negative, mm, right, if you will. Right, right. It's how it's carried. So we eliminate that. We buy it in bulk. So all our customers don't have to deal with that from either breaking down the trash or getting into the recycle. And so, I'm imagining how many 35-pound jugs oh, yeah. a restaurant must, must use. I, I know. I knew you were going to ask this question. <laughs> I didn't go on our website. No. <laughs> we have a clicker that oh, goes really? through. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. It's got to be. Oh, that's it's, a good it's, thing, it's thing to do. Tens of, tens of millions. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a very nice visual of the impact you're having there. Right. Sort yeah. of like in people, like Sandy's question, you imagine they use a lot. Yeah, 35. I mean, I don't know. We, just three people in my house. It feels like we're <laughs> buying a big jug of you know, <laughs> coconut oil or vegetable so oil every the, couple of months. The typical QSR is somewhere between 350 and 400 pounds a week. So that's 10 to 10 to 12. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. So that so that's being eliminated. That's right? being eliminated. Um, the the fact that it is going back into fuel and there's uh, in California the, the studies have shown used cooking oil going into fuel is by far uh, the has the lowest footprint. 
uh, carbon footprint. Got it. It's, is that as compared to other types of used fuel? Correct. Okay. Um, ethanol or any other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that 98% use is the, is the highest yes. of the other of, of fuel correct. options. Unbelievable. And is that something you're making money off of too, I hope? We actually share it with our customers. So we, um, oh. we get a delivery fee uh, for the oil. Uh, we get a service fee for keeping up our equipment. And then we share the used cooking oil um, with revenue. our re- with our revenue. We cover our costs and then basically split it 50-50. Wow. And what, yeah. what's the size of the restaurants that you, are your customers? We're everything from um, a supermarket, which is going to use you know 100 to 120 pounds a week, all the way to casinos, hotels, et cetera, that are going to use you know 1,000 pounds a week. Right. You know, and I love these models where, you know, in an older version, it, you know, the way business was done, they were paying to bring the oil in. It was probably more expensive. There's a larger environmental footprint, and they weren't recycling it as well. Plus, they had to sometimes pay to get that's correct removed, yeah. right, yeah. to that remove the oil. Now, <laughs> All higher gone. environmental impact, easier for them, right? Very easy. Lower, maybe lower insurance if these employees slips and falls that, that is, and stuff are decreasing. That, that is correct. And... They get some money back because right. you're selling the oil. It's like so, these are the strategies that we will change the world because there's no reason for it not to continue. Right. So our customers love the ease of use. They love the business case that we teach them how to use less oil. So it, it basically is a break even. Yeah. But why they never leave is that it's a safer, cleaner environment. Yeah. And if they use all the tools, we tell them they actually produce better food. Oh, wow. Sure, because the oil is more often fresh, right? It's more there's nothing worse than... Fresh, and we, we, depending on their menu, we tell them what their pounds of oil per pound of food fried should be. Hmm. So it's just kind of like a miles per gallon efficiency standpoint. Using too much oil, you're wasting money. Using too little, you're, you're not really cooking well and consistently. Excellent. Well, you're covering a lot of the bases on the impact front. What <laughs> What's next on the horizon? Is Are there any problems that are still... Uh, nagging at you that you're trying to solve? Well, this um, it's top secret. No, but, <laughs> but I think no one's no one listens to us. So uh, we did just buy another uh, augmenting product as we look at the hood flues and fans. Hmm. Now that's an area that uh, it's the second worst thing that uh, has to happen in a in a restaurant, and there it's actually done manually, either internally, but most likely an outside hood cleaner. And that's just a tough job. I'm sure they have a hard time finding people to do that in the middle of the night. And generally, it's, a, it's a, just a tough service. I would not want to be in that business. Right. Um, so we, when we're doing this automatically cleaning it uh, with Automist, but we also just bought a company in technology called Grease Lock. And that is a filter medium based out of wool and a, a slight synthetic blend. And it goes in between the baffles of the hood. And what it does, it blocks anywhere from 85 to 98% of the grease from getting into the hood wow. at all. So that product... Without can, reducing the airflow. Without reducing the airflow. So, good, great question. Yeah. So, the, um, so now we have an answer for everybody. If, we can't, if AutoMess doesn't fit for some folks, uh, we'll put in grease lock. And in combination, that's really the best of both worlds. Absolutely. And that's an, you know, another win-win where it's a, it's a hazardous... Right job that doesn't need to get done, and um, it sounds like that's even a, a sort of natural product. If it is a natural product. They're actually bio, biodegradable. You just you can if you want it, you just you know put it in the in the grass and use it to uh, as 
uh, they would, it would uh, buy fertilize, buy, yeah. buy grade. Yes. Excellent. Well, that sounds great. And we certainly love hearing about uh, how technology is playing a role right. in, in coming yeah. into these businesses. Very, very cool. Any impact on jobs? More jobs, less jobs as a result of all these technologies? You know, that's a, that's a great question. They're, they're hard to hire those jobs. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's probably a net neutral um, because I think people would prefer not to do those jobs, mm-hmm. yet work there. We don't eliminate a job in the restaurant. We eliminate hours of jobs. So the, the, yeah. most of our customers will take those hours and put in more customer-facing. Got it. Yeah, one one less dangerous thing to do yeah, with your time as an employee. It's funny. There, there's certainly some jobs that it's good for robots or other technology mm-hmm. to replace them. You know, it's, no one really wants to do that job. And I would say that the hood cleaning is not, not a fun job. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, this was a fascinating conversation. I always love when we get to learn about industries that we know nothing about. about. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of them. Yes, yes, yeah. indeed. And this is just one of those, um, you know, really obvious win-win-wins where, you know, there are no holes holes to poke in this, you know, in in terms of it being really good for the environment for all these companies. And so congrats on the success, Jeff. Thanks. Thank you for joining us, telling us about restaurant technologies today. And uh, we hope it's a great great rest of the conference. you got a social impact panel coming up this afternoon with Cheryl. Indeed, indeed. So I hope it's a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. Great. Thanks for being here. Take care. Oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, sure. I was just going to say that wraps our interviews today here. This is always so much fun. I could stop almost any one of these business leaders walking by and talk to them about their impact work because it is, it's just, this is from the front lines. This is a CEO of a mid-sized company who has responsibility for making all these decisions. And it's really neat to see how they're thinking about impact. Well, and I think what's really interesting about it is, A, as you mentioned, these are a lot of companies that don't rise to my visibility. Right. I didn't yeah. know they You've exist. never been in a restaurant and asked, how's your, <laughs> what's the grease process here? What's the grease process here? I haven't done that. Um, but also then what becomes really interesting is sort of seeing how in these different businesses, there's a kind of um, uh, impact built in to how they're, how they're approaching the business, right? And so that, that I think is really um, good to see. Good to see. Yeah, those are the ones that we're, we're most confident will stick. Exactly. And so they are wonderful to see. So we're going to wrap up live here from the floor. We're going to go mingle, have some fun. Have some fun. Have some snacks. Some shortbreads. Crafter shortbread. I think this is what I think this is Walker's shortbread is a midsize company. Yep. Yep. So that we see some of those out there. Uh, listeners, we want to thank you for joining us here, being a little bit of a part of the 2019 CEO Connection Mid-Market Convention here in Philadelphia. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132. Thanks for being with us today. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Like us. Like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Sirius XM Business Radio. And follow us on Twitter at BizRadio132. This is Business Radio. Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.